If you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. Listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience, featuring Mr. Stone Gossip. Welcome to Live on Four Legs, the definitive live Pearl Jam podcast. And we're here in post time, but not in post time, because unfortunately, friends, when you're listening to this is when we already had a show that have ha- that has happened in See Here Now. Uh, and if you want to listen to our take on that show, you're going to have to go back in the feed and go listen to it. We released that on Monday. This show was recorded beforehand because, well, I had to be at the show, had a whole weekend to fulfill, and it was just going to be nuts. So we decided to do this beforehand. So there will be no See Here Now discussion. There will be probably little Ohana discussion because you can't really talk about Ohana when you don't really know what happened in See Here Now. So I, I just, I'll send you guys over to the prior episode if you're looking for that. If you're not looking for that, welcome. We're going to talk about a no-code show from 1996. Let's get right into it. Randy Sobel over here, John Farrar over there. Hello. John, um, well, 96 is like one of your favorite things. Oh, like I, that, that's it. no... Yeah, no, nobody's surprised about that. But I, I, I felt like we had to give no code its due because we did a lot for ten uh, during the thirtieth anniversary. We did the the Philadelphia show, we did the Munich show. There was a lot of things going on, and now we get to really focus on this record, celebrating another important anniversary, the the twenty fifth which, of course, is the younger brother in the situation, which kind of gets brushed on the backside, but it sure is worth all the discussion and all the praise. Oh, absolutely. How many times am I going to mention Jack in this show? Let's just, you can place your bets now. Like, it's just, it's just amazing to just watch him do his thing for two hours. It's just, it's amazing. Just assume every song is going to be have a Jack discussion in it. I, I you you see my notes. I I emailed the notes to the to the live on four legs account. You know what's coming essentially. Yeah, the I mean minor minor no different. Yeah, I mean it's, <laughs> he's it's just like watching a masterclass in in rock and roll drumming. It's just 
he added so much to the band and to watch just everybody play off of him and the things he's even the just these little things that you you notice that don't show up in a, in other versions of the songs it's like just and just watching his arms and watching his body movements as he plays is just oh it's it's just so much fun to watch the jack era had a certain kind of edge to it that that none of the other eras have and it's it's so much fun to watch but this show especially is going to be fun because this is i think this is the immediate show after the the letterman you know commercial free performance yes where they right. they did hail hail and my my holy grail the the eight seconds of leaving here that we got before the <laughs> before they cut the uh cut the the show off yeah that's why this is about as close as i can get to that well, I, you know, I think you've told the story before where yeah. you, you've had your own cousin that worked for Letterman that couldn't yeah. find it. So yeah. the the chances of that existing are unfortunately very, very, very low. But if anybody was in the audience that night happened to have a reporter on them, Ooh, that would be something. I mean, reveal that shit. Absolutely. Let's get it. Uh, so... Um, you're right. This was right in the beginning of the No Code Tour. I kind of consider this sort of the the opener of the tour because you have Showbox, and Showbox is a small show, and that's 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 hometown, that's local. But then you have Key Arena, which is local as well. That's kind of you know both are, are kind of transitioning you into something bigger later on. Kind of a warm up believe- shows, yeah. Yeah, and I believe the Key Arena show went for a benefit like it usually does, and they were raising money for something. But most of these shows that happened in 96 were all East Coast. Things like uh, places like Randall's Island, Toledo, Buffalo, Hartford. Uh, they went down to Florida for a show or two. They did not Charlotte. come to Atlanta. I totally would have gone, but they did not come to Atlanta. That they would have been a perfect time Atlanta. for me to have seen them for the first time, but they did not. Your Atlanta needed uh, non-Ticketmaster venues. Yeah. That's yeah. the only way they would have gotten it. And I think 96 has always been a tough tour for people. It's either been the one that that really got them in and, and, and got them the spark to enjoy this band. And, you know, for a lot of people that, that listen to us, 96 was the first time that they ever saw them live. But also for a lot of people, that was kind of a divide where they couldn't go and see them during these times because they didn't have means to go to non-Ticketmaster venues. So it, it was definitely difficult for them. And it's weird because I, I, I don't think the band necessarily holds this year within a high regard either because when they you never think talk about, about it, it. Yeah. never. And, no, and no when you think about releases. I was just going to mention yeah. the vaults. Yeah. Last year, they could have easily released something from 1996 last year, but they decided to go with Moline. And you would think that that's because they didn't feel comfortable with releasing anything from 1996, that, that Moline would fulfill whatever anyone had wanted for the no-code songs to be on vinyl. I, I guess that that was that was it. And unfortunately, a show like this should have a vault treatment if if it's available, but it just doesn't seem to be the case. I, they want to go in different directions, I suppose. Yeah, it's. I mean, who knows what you know? Who's making those decisions? If that's a, if that's a band thing, or if that's a management thing, or if that's you know some combination of both. But yeah, it's just strange. This is like even in the even in the movie, like really no mention of this year. Even the mm-hmm. you know the the unofficial movie, the 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 Pearl Jam movie, the '95 tour movie, just '95. Like no, 
that doesn't doesn't get into this done before that was more vitalogy so this is kind of like the overlooked year in their history it's too bad yeah it really is and that's why we are kind of here to to replace all of that and make sure that you do get your fix and, and we like to try and get to every year as much as possible uh, you know a, a lot of people that request shows will request stuff from pretty recent because recent stuff is is kind of you know in everybody's mind and and uh you have official bootlegs with those shows from 2013 and 2003 and and 2006 and those those things are easy to attach themselves to but 1996 uh, we don't get a lot of requests from this era and thankfully this was a request that we got from from our patron Steve McCallum and Steve's great Steve's a Canadian and uh, this was a perfect show for him to request and we thank him for it and I already told him like you're gonna love this because we're just gonna do nothing but just uh, just <laughs> praise the shit out of this show that's that's all I got here that's that's a spoiler for you guys it I I absolutely love this show and you know there's but, the sorry to interrupt there's there's one year that yeah. we haven't yet done. We are know, getting to it's, it. It's going to come this we year. Yeah, it. that's going to yep. be fun too. Mm-hmm. Yep. If you can think about it and you guess it, try to email email us and let mm-hmm. us know if you get it right. Maybe Why I'll. Maybe we'll send a. Maybe we'll send a bootleg to the first person who gets it right. That would be great. That would be great. If you know your live on four legs history, if you know how to swim through the live on four legs archive, and maybe it's worth it. Yeah. Maybe it'll be worth it. Maybe live it'll be a bootleg from that year. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to share his story here. And Steve is Horizon Leg patron. And this is what is part of the, the Patreon package. If you donate to either the Giggle Leg or the Horizon Leg, we get to take your request. Uh, Steve was offered to come on the show. He couldn't come on at this time. Hopefully at some point very soon we can get him on a profile episode. And, and that'll be great. And uh, he's, a, he's a real good guy. So uh, we thank him for for requesting this this fantastic show. So I'm going to, he sent in what he thought was a profile. I'm not going to read it all because it's a lot of stuff and we're going to save that for whenever the profile episode does come out. Uh, but I'm going to start kind of with what's relevant to this situation. So to get there, we have to start in the spring of 1995. He came across a cassette of mostly Vitalogy on it and songs that sounded like they were recorded in a garage. I later learned that this was self-pollution radio broadcast and someone also tagged most of Atlanta 1994 bootleg on it. Somebody here knows a lot about that. Indeed. Pearl Jam. I had both of those on cassette. Of of course. Yeah, absolutely. Pearl Jam skipped coming to Toronto in 1995 due to their Ticketmaster battle. And that's actually, before I move ahead, that's actually very interesting because the last time that they were in Canada was 1993. They did a couple of dates here and there. I, I believe they were opening for Neil at a couple of really big shows, one being in Toronto. I think Soundgarden opened that show too, something crazy like that. And they played Mudfest. If, if you've ever seen Mudfest before, that's all on YouTube. That's a fantastic watch. That, that all happens right in the middle of the, the Versus era, right before the Versus era. So, yeah, it's fantastic stuff. But that was the last time that they ever really toured Canada before going just to Toronto. I don't think they did any other province. I, I think it was just Toronto this tour. It wasn't really until... I think 98, they might have done Toronto and Montreal, and I think that's exactly what they did in 2000. But Canada really didn't get its due 
until 2005 where they they just spread throughout the whole entire country you you know going from winnipeg to saskatoon to vancouver and and everywhere in between uh if, if you like canadian shows then 2005 is your tour anyway um, where was it? Okay. Pearl Jam skipped coming to Toronto in 1995 due to their Ticketmaster battle. So I'd have to wait to see them with my love for, with my love for them growing each passing day. Finally, the news of an album and tour started to drop and my excitement grew. I was like, I was a little thrown off by the new single, Who You Are, but still dug it because it was Pearl Jam and I was ready for anything new. I tuned into a pre-release radio show to hear No Code and knew it was, and knew it was different than the other albums, but I enjoyed the new material. I listened to it continuously. I was also able to secure tickets to see them for the first time, sending me back only $25 through Ticketmaster, strangely enough. Shortly before the show, I was able to trade my ticket for a bus ride and floor seats. That's, I mean, that's value right there. That's fantastic. The night before the, sh- the show, Pearl Jam appeared on David Letterman, as we mentioned before, they performed Hail Hail says one of his favorite tracks from the album and what the hell is stone wearing that's a a great question and i don't think we'll ever get to really answer that uh ed is in a sport jacket too but yeah stone stone is stone is the the winner from that letterman i I think it needs to needs to be addressed at least in that capacity what what the hell stone was doing in his like orange beanie and orange creamsicle shirt whatever he was yeah that's a that's a missed opportunity for those funko pop people (laughs) oh you know i'm 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 in there for those chases and variants and the 1996 letterman funko pops we we don't need zombies we don't need zombies we want yes that's that's exactly what we want we want stone the the way that we see stone damn it so anyway i woke up the next day elated to be going to my first Pearl Jam concert and only my second concert ever. My friends and I watched the Letterman performance a few times and enjoyed listening to the albums to get us pumped up. We packed into my friend's van and made our way to Hamilton, where the bus would take us 40 minutes down the road to Maple Leaf Gardens. As we turned down to find a street to find parking, smack, crash, we were T-boned, and we went head-on into a large tree. The van was a total write-off. Everyone was okay, but I think my head broke the passenger glass window. My first thought was that I wasn't going to see Pearl Jam that night, but after collecting ourselves, we figured there's no other reason we can't. But at this time, I looked over at my friend, a huge fan, and I knew his day was going to be different. He told us to go and didn't think he could make it. Remarkably, he arrived as we were entering the venue, and his dad drove him there knowing how much he wanted to to go and see the band that's that is a good father right there that is something to aspire to do when somebody has that kind of passion yeah feed it feed into feed into your child's passion i caught the last two songs of the fastbacks i believe and made my way as close to mike as i could i settled in about 20 feet away from the rail and was content with my view the droning, repetitive, arpeggiated ring of stone plucking away at release began as the lights brightened slowly, following Ed's voice of, Ooh, I see the world. I wish I could go back in time and experience this for the first time again. I won't go through the whole concert because that's what you guys are about to do. Besides experience what I believe is a set list I could see today and be totally elated, I don't have much to add in terms of personal experience from the show. From the opening song release to the closing song of the first set, Blood, I don't know how many shows can stack up to the set list. Well, we shall see. Maybe discuss that part. 
One thing I do recall is almost is I almost passed out in the pit during blood as the relentless strobe lights flashed to the beat of Jack's kick drum and I was kicked by numerous Doc Martens. Maybe I was concussed from the car accident? Anyway, I was able to recover and settle back in for the encore a bit further back. Pre-J concert, number one in the books. I've probably attended 15 or so since. Notably, Buffalo 2003 and did a three-night run of the 2005 Canadian tour as well. Pearl Jam has been in my life and been my life story to this point. It was just the beginning. They led me to pick up the guitar. Corduroy would be the first Pearl Jam song I learned and cursed Eddie for using an open G chord, but cheating and using a power chord just didn't sound right. My university roommates probably hated, hated hearing that riff over and over and over. Over the following years, I scoured the internet and had a decently impressive bootleg connection, always loving the live sound more than the albums. Took a small break during the Backspacer years, but the PJ20 documentary sucked me back in for a while. Started to listen a bit less in the last few years back, but started to look for some podcasts about Pearl Jam. And since then, I've been on a pretty decent PJ heater and came to find Live on Four Legs, gee, who are those guys, and have also connected with them a bit, as with some of the fans. Can't wait to see them again soon, hopefully in 2022. Cheers, everyone. Thanks for listening to my story. Hope it wasn't too long. Uh, and then there was kind of a postscript that he sent me in a message on uh, on Twitter. And, you know, th- this is just things to kind of look out for when, when we start talking about the show. So one thing I recall was when Ed was talking about the, his Crazy Horse t-shirt and says one of the songs sound conspicuously like a Mirrorball song. They were anticipating Smile. Interesting. Hmm. We'll see. We'll get to the one that they actually play. Think about a Neil Young song and see if that's the one that that, uh, connects in your head from No Code. We also appreciated the the nod to Ty Domi. Uh, Ty Domi is making a a reference in this show, folks. He's, uh, if you don't know who Ty Domi is, he was a... um, he was an enforcer for the Toronto Maple Leafs and then played for the Rangers for a little while uh, and is just one of, you know, one, one of those figures in hockey that uh, he's not your goal scorer, but teams, if he was on your team, you loved him. If you hated him, if if, if he wasn't. And uh, he's just one of those players. He, he, he took always, some pucks to the face. Oh, he sure did. And I'm sure right now he, he probably has a fraction of the memory that he used to. And but, the teeth. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't think he has any teeth. If he has any teeth, that would be remarkable. But yeah, um, if Ty Domi's not the 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 league leader in penalty minutes, then I'm not sure who is. Because <laughs> I, I would have to think it's probably him or he's at least in the top three yeah. at the very least. Okay. So that was that. Now we can kind of get the get the show started yeah, and th- let the show begin. Thanks for the story, Steve. That's fantastic information. Like that's great. Absolutely, great story. yeah. It, it's always good to go back to the early ones. We don't get like like I mentioned before. We don't get to a lot of the earlier stuff. So we get really giddy when somebody's like, "Oh, let's do a '98. Let's do a '96. Let's do a '95." Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Absolutely. So. Figured that this was a perfect time to do it. And what did we say in the beginning of the year, John? This was going to be the year for Canada and the Canadian fans. Yep, we did. And we kept to our word. I think this is like the fourth or fifth Canadian show we've done. Nice, so Nice. Yeah. All right. We're opening here with release. Basically, the scene here is in complete darkness. And by God, like, if you're in that crowd and, and watching a lot of these shows and seeing a song like Release or A Long Road 
and just waiting for those lights to kind of just raise a little bit. It, it's kind of haunting, and we, we've talked about that facet before. Uh, you know, it, it's, it sets such a different mood, especially to start your show. And if you want to compare it to other live bands and how other live bands might start out with their, their most rocking, you know, recent single or something like that, it, it's a completely different strategy that kind of sucks you in in a different way like you know you're you're in a trance instead of like ready to rock out and it's just you know the the magnitude of it and the decision that came from day one to start with a song like this it it is one of the things one of the best pulls that this band has ever the one of the best decision that this band has ever made to start out shows this way. And it feels every time they do something like this, it's it's just completely special. And the not only that, but the first decision they ever made at the, at the well, first Well, that's what show. I was saying. Yeah. I said the first, yeah, I said the yeah. first day, which yeah. essentially is that that October 22nd yeah, show. It's just, it's just such a good, like, table setter because you're, you're only hearing that voice, right? And, like... Mm-hmm. They they were doing that a lot in ninety three ninety four and and still ninety six like the the guy can command a room with that voice and like there's no better you know vehicle for it than release and to get that it oh it's just you know it gives you chills makes your makes your hair stand up just thinking about being in that completely dark room and then that that drone comes in and that riff comes in and then the his voice starts and yeah just one of the coolest moments to to set the tone for like yep we're this is going to be a special night and you know this is a fantastic release you know it we we talk about release what it is now it's become kind of this emotional celebration this kind of cathartic you know no pun intended release but this is oh this is such a great version i'm you know for the for the first time in many you know just watching jack on this and watching the little things that he does just adds so much to the song and it sounded really really good
I think what's different about hearing release now and hearing release then is everybody knows it's going to be cathartic now. Everybody, the minute that you hear release, you're like, okay, this is what I came for. This is exactly the moment that I expected. I think back then, I think it was out of left field for a lot of people. I think that for people that weren't collecting bootlegs that might have just been going to shows because they knew they were in their local area, I think that this caught a lot of people off guard and this had a different cathartic experience and probably a more important one than other people that gotten it late in 2013 and, and 2016 whenever they saw shows in the 2000s. I think it's a different experience. I think people recognize release now as being the ultimate opener song. But back then... You know, maybe people didn't get that aspect as much. And I could be wrong about that. I could be totally yeah. wrong about it. But. And it's, it's so weird, too, because, you know, how many times do for these 95, 96 shows we come on and we, we talk about, oh, it was it was weird when they played this 10 song or this 10 song didn't have any kind of oomph behind it like it did a few years prior. But release is kind of exempt from that. Like it, it never went through that period of like. Yeah, I don't, you know, like a lot of like, oh, I don't know why we're playing this song still. Like, right. they never dropped mm-hmm. it. You know, how many of them got dropped in 1995? You know, your deeps and why goes and gardens and things like that. Like, this was always there and it was always that opener and it's it's always good. Like, they, it, it was kind of, it never went through that phase that a lot of those other 10 songs did. That's a really good point. Never even thought of that before. And yeah, we, we always bring up kind of how 10 was off the radar. And I think it, at some point in the show, I mentioned that it's like, I, I think a beginning, middle, end of the main set is all 10 yeah. and that's it. It's just the symmetrical. We talked about it first how many weeks in a row now that that those songs are placed very strategically. Right. In these, so in these it doesn't sets. seem yeah. right. So it doesn't seem like 10 that they're gravitating towards the album or that they're, they're favoring the album. They're just, they just pop up like, Oh, remember these here's, here's in case we lost you here. Here's one again. Yep. Yep. All right. Uh, release again. I think a postscript to that is just that you, you mentioned his vocals. The vocals were perfect in this. They were reserved and a little bit delicate, but then he's able to really wait for the burst and just burst whenever those moments come. And, and that's, that's when you know you got something good with, with that song. Perfect, perfect way to open. These three that come right after, Hail Hell and The Last Exit and Tremor Christ, that is the ultimate 1996 startup right there. And Hail Hell just is such a perfect, smooth transition after release. And you see Ed is kind of getting animated, and, you know, like, the no-code songs are really starting to be played in front of crowds that they don't know yet, you know? Uh in Seattle they can kind of gesture what the hometown crowd is going to do Toronto they hadn't been there in a couple years so seeing them react to a song like Hail Hail which I think they would probably consider to be one of the best off the record if they played it on Letterman uh, has to feel really good and and you could I think right from the jump you can see that the band is feeling this and they're ready to play all these songs in front of a different crowd yeah and especially you can tell that he's into it right from the beginning like coming off of that you know and again that that letterman performance you know can't be understated how important that was because that was like i mentioned that was a commercial free show mm-hmm. and you know knowing what what the band was going through in 1995 1996 i think they were hand-picked to be on that show and that performance of hail hail is just electric 
like oh, one of the best unbelievable and to Probably ride the best to be able to kind of ride that momentum from that and then and like again we'll, <laughs> i'm gonna harp on it again we'll never know how good that leaving here performance was <laughs> and to to kind of ride the momentum of that into a show like this yeah you want to you want to break this out early and and get right into it yeah and release into hail hail is, is something that you don't get very often but it's oh it's so good just the way the hail hail just kicks in yeah, and I, and I love that this early on in Hell Hell's, what, fourth performance, fifth performance? Let me get Something the actual like that, number yeah. on that. Yeah, uh, fourth performance. I love how such early on he's able to bring in the line. I refer to those in front. Like, he, that goes to show he's he's watching the crowd. He's seeing what's going on, and, and he's, he's liking what he's seeing. going to Vitalogy songs right here back to back and you know we have to mention Jack on Last Exit I think that's my favorite or one of my favorite songs uh, to hear Jack on and it's just that hi-hat mixing in with the snare and it kind of almost fits snugly between Stone's riff and the way that timing is it's just it sounds so good you guys in a while if not a couple of months Hmm. so to hear like ed with the huge finish at the end like that's exactly the perfect era for the song the perfect kind of range that ed had at the time um last exit might be my one of my favorite non no code tracks from from 1996 hands down yeah very very good and just tight from the beginning like there's no wasted energy there's like just immediately just they just like steamroll into it but you you mentioned the end like stone i I love stone at the end just kind of stomping around like Mm -hmm. it's almost like you know and you know neil young's obviously a big influence by by this point and it just reminded me a lot of neil doing his like crazy stomps around the stage right so good well, it's funny that you mentioned that because one of my notes in Tremor Christ is even in pure darkness, you can see Stone kind of waddle and stomp. Oh, yeah, yeah. And once once again, Tremor Christ, 
you know, that, that the tint, it's kind of like release where the lights are out a little bit and he gets kind of, I don't know, it gets kind of spooky. It gets kind of dark and it's just great vocals. The ending feels haunting too. It kind of has this like mysterious vibe to it. Like, I don't, I I think it's corny to say like Halloween like, but it's kind of, I don't know. It's, it it feels like that's, that's a perfect October song. Tremor Christ. I don't know if, if I'm onto something with that, but yeah, we, we, we should take a minute because we haven't done like a, a true song appreciation in a few weeks. But I think we haven't. No, Tremor Christ here. I'll even admit, like, I even forget about sometimes. They hardly ever play it in the 2000s. And uh, we've been doing a lot of those shows. And you you really have to hit on, like, a 95 or 94 show to get it. But this is, I think this is one of the best that I've ever heard. This version has everything. And it just, like, just the rhythm of it and the, I don't even know, like, you know the right word to describe it but just the the way that it kind of like chugs along and the way that it kind of careens like from part to from part to part and the, the transitions and like of course jack just driving the whole thing and like oh my god it's just awesome to listen to like this version of tremor christ one of the best i've heard in a long long time yeah there's there's a balance in jeff's bass too like yeah he kind of it's a really good balance between how Jack is pounding, how Stone is kind of giving this janky riff off, and then Jeff is coming in and kind of giving it a little, a little bubble where it doesn't it feel. It, I think he has he brings that air of mystery to the song and kind of gives it a little bit of a I don't know a, like a different vibe, like kind of a mysterious, like I mentioned that kind of vibe to it. I, I, I think that credit goes to Jeff, and, and Jeff seems to always be the black sheep on the show where we just never seem to mention when <laughs> oh, he does something great. Purpose. And oh my God. I, not on purpose, no, not at all. But, but yeah, if I had gun to my head, I had to pick one of my favorite songs to hear a Jeff bass line on, Tremor Christ. That is, that is up there. I love this song. I don't, you, you mentioned song appreciation. I appreciate this every damn day I hear it. 
and I and I listen to it a lot because it's 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 up there. Like I consider this yeah. probably a top three or four song off Vitalogy. This was so. this was the first song I heard off Vitalogy. It was the first song they played wow. on the radio down here. I wow. I distinctly remember like being in in the car or whatever and like listening to. 99x and being like oh here's a new Pearl Jam song and Tremor Christ like oh my god and it turns out you know it was the they did that seven inch with Tremor Christ and Spin the Black Circle that was kind of the pre-release before the before the record came out and I was like my god this song's amazing and and then it just kind of disappeared but good lord I and I don't even know did they even play it in 2018 probably not maybe once yes they did because I, I went to a show oh, where yeah. they did play they played it at Fenway and right I, I would say that that kind of sparked it like yes I was very excited to see a deep Vitalogy cut that I had never seen before in 20 shows but also in my mind I was it, it kind of sparked this this energy within the song that I'm just like whoa I didn't recognize this before actually hearing it at the show is just as important as getting the sense from 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 the album and and once you do hear it like that always to me makes you change it makes a change in opinion of a song for you which is why the gigaton songs are so important right now cuz they get played live they could either just get escalated or you could be like, oh, that wasn't as good as the record. So I'm sure those are conversations that we had on yeah. the last episode. But let's get back into Jack because In My Tree is just, oh, man. Um, Ed is commenting during that, that that big drum intro and he's just like, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's everything. I think Agreed. it's just Agreed. witnessing the crowd and just hearing Jack and just being in this moment. He's like, yeah, I like this. Yep, this this is fantastic. I noticed this... he, he caught something at the beginning, like someone threw something on stage and he like reflexively just grabs it and that, that gets like a big crowd moment. I don't know if what it was, huh. but yeah. yeah, I'm not I'm not I'm not sure about that. But my god. This this is fucking incredible. Thank you. 
not ju- not just that the performance is is unbelievable. It's that the band is completely feeling this song. You know that this is one, and you can tell you can tell which ones they love off the record and which ones they're like, okay, let's let's figure this out. I, in my tree is like instant fall in love right away, and they I think it it all has to begin with Jack when they hear that that inspires them. You you see Jeff just bouncing around and and they just seem locked in. And, you know, I I think the momentum of the song is so important because even when you think about, like, the ending, I didn't even think that this was that, like, cathartic of a McCready solo. It's not as powerful as it would become later on. I I, I think it's getting there, but maybe it's the audio and the audio was down a little bit and, and you couldn't really hear Mike's power. But the momentum of the song and the way that it was paced and the way that they went about it was just right on. It was spot on the whole entire time. Yeah, that that moment right when that bridge comes in all the way to the end is just fantastic, flawless. Uh, I just inject this directly into my veins, like perfect. Yeah, yep, yep. I I am thrilled to have those first five songs and then you're getting Corduroy six songs in and it's just so clear and and we're doing this old school style it seems it seems like we're doing this song by song which in 22 songs i I, I guess you have that opportunity to do a little bit more but we'll spread it out a little like but still every song's got so much going on these first these first few like these this is the best part of the show no no spoilers you're right i you're absolutely right and that's not this doesn't discredit the rest of the show keep listening don't turn it off but no no (laughs) uh but I have to agree with you. It's just the way that it, it captures you and everything just, it, it, it's kind of like anything you could do, I could do better. The next song is better than the last and the next song feels like it has a different quality than 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 the last song did. Like Corduroy just has a different level that it gets to than in my tree. Like it's just, you can tell they're having a, an on night. Everything has been perfect to this point. Uh, Jeff is on Stone's side during this. This is very early for Jeff to just be rocking with Stone like that. And Jack's pacer and Corduroy is amazing. It almost felt like at the end when they're doing that album style ending where they're kind of just trailing off a little bit, it almost feels like you get the sense that Jack is about to build that back up. Almost. And then it just kind of, he lets it, he lets it fade. But just that little tease gives you enough to be like, ooh, ooh, that maybe that is a little, that's coming off the song and, and coming off that energy and, and still continuing that momentum and wanting to take it to another place, even yeah. though they didn't get there. Yeah, I mean, and, and we should mention too, there's, there's no break between Imatri and Corduroy. Like as soon as Imatri ends, that, <laughs> Not that rift, oh, that rift to Corduroy starts and just the intro is perfect.
perfect versions of corduroy like to use that intro to kind of build that tension and like ramp everything up from from that point on and this one does that very very well but yeah the the ending like stone at the end just love it you know, it's the way he's playing off of jack and playing off of jeff like stone's kind of the 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 focal point of everything in this song and like at the end it's so good loved it and i'm upset that we don't have to talk or we can't talk about the, these six songs for the rest of the show we have to get to other stuff which is a lot of this stuff is fantastic but uh you know by, say say goodbye and farewell to those six because those were a fantastic first yeah you, know, you want to say original original yeah. six hockey teams since you're in canada like, those could be your original six of this show well i want to see uh, we're, we're getting to the part now where that steve talked about the uh the yes. Neil young thing where i'm interested to see uh what you thought about this where where we're going to go with this if we agree if you're playing the game at home and this is where he addresses the crowd and wants them to see his shirt 1978 neil young and crazy horse rust never sleep shirt and mentions that, yes, they did uh, the Mirrorball record with Neil. And this song conspicuously sounds like one. And it is Red Mosquito. You're playing the home game and guess Red Mosquito. Congratulations. You get us talking about Red Mosquito. So, but, which, uh, uh, but which Mirrorball song do you think he's referring to that it sounds like? Um... Uh, does it have like a song X kind of feel to it? That's that's the one that I thought. I think it's. I think yeah. it's. It's. He's got to be talking about song X. Yeah. Right. It's just like very kind of. Sh- I mean, I don't want to call Red Mosquito shanty, but it just has that that like extra kind of like motion to it. It's it in that motion that three song. four six eight time signature that waltz. That, sure. Yeah. Yeah. You can explain that better than I can for sure. But I, you know, it it feels like it 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 does feel kind of because Neil has these kind of songs where he'll just bust out a solo in the beginning like that, and I don't think there were a lot of outside the dissident that really had something like that where McCready is in your face from the very beginning, and when you're putting this to the crowd and giving the crowd the opportunity to get that when this is being played for the third time ever, uh, I, I you know I think. They they probably had to be being blown blown away by that. Yeah, it's different. Yeah, and and it made me think too. Like, Red Mosquito would have fit in very well on Mirrorball. Really fits in nicely with those songs. Yeah, I back to a couple of them. It like it has that kind of feel to it, which I'd never really hadn't really made that connection. I've never really sat down and thought about it that much before. But yeah, that that's a cool tie-in. I like I like that. You know, there's kind of a connection there between the this song and that record. Yeah. Do Do you think that like can you envision neil singing the song do you think the way that yeah, that um, ed's candor is do you think that that kind of resembles what neil would do or maybe like he does go ad? he does do a little bit of the falsetto and like the eye was bitten like he goes a little bit higher i can see that being in in kind of neil's wheelhouse maybe yeah i, I look i i mean it would have been great if, if neil kind of did a Neil Jam with just playing Pearl Jam songs and it would have been unique to see which ones they would have chose. I, I would think that this would have been a lock. But um yeah, I, I think that, that that's all kind of speculative history right there and uh and just kind of pipe dreams that we wish could have happened long, long ago. Uh but Mosquito gets you an animal 
and Animal's going to get you into Jeremy. Animal's just super tight and just loud. Stone's guitar sounds perfect on Animal. It just gives you that ring, that buzz that you get from Animal. Wow, 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 wow. Like, all of that just brings this full and gives this 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 full sound that that just you can you feel that sound reverberating to the back of the arena when you're sitting there at home watching watching it bootleg from 1996 you still feel that that's how powerful that is yeah i think the for me it's the it's the ending i think i just wrote like damn and that's yeah. something you you get a lot i think that's one thing that jack added like he's he's so good at like building like i like i mentioned before with with corduroy like and in my tree like building that tension throughout the song and when you get to the end it's like how many times did you know how many songs did did jack have where they would get to the end and it would just go off like we've talked we're going to talk about immortality in a little bit yeah, just a sec yeah. corduroy like yeah last exit just these all these ending the songs just seem to build and build up to the end and then it just like the, the top just blows off like the volcano erupts and all the endings of these songs are just fantastic. That's that's one thing you get with Jack that, that you don't get with uh, some of the other drummers. I hate to say things like this, but imagine Jack in a big, like, a big arena environment, like, playing Ticketmaster venues, like, big, big. And I, I know Maple Leafs Gardens is no, that, that's that's no three-ring circus. That That's that's a big deal playing over there. But, like, an MSG or, like, you know, playing at a Wrigley or a Fenway yeah, like and how he, his sound he could never, have been utilized. He never really got even ones. a chance to, to really no. feel those Yield songs out, the ones that he played on. Like some of those, some of that that '98 tour, the U.S. tour would have been it would have been the chance. But like, maybe that's a good uh, Devo episode. Maybe we'll we'll pick some later songs that we think Jack would have really added stuff to. Uh, that would be interesting. I love that. Yeah, I love that idea. Um, all right. Well, look, we have uh, we have Jeremy to get to, and Jeremy is just no walkover at this show because there's a lot. There's kind of a lot to talk about with this. Uh, next week we're gonna expand on that because next week, like we mentioned, is Randall's Island, so we get no Jeremy next week, and that that is a week exactly a week after when this show happened. So I, they're playing around with this. They they're trying something different. They're they're seeing where they are with it, and it's it's not like a we're bored with Jeremy. It's like what can we do with it to make it better. And a few things like Ed doing the exaggerated mid-verse lines, like mm-hmm. we, we've heard that stuff before. That's pretty normal. And like Ed, Ed doesn't do any of the, whoa, he, he just lets the crowd do their thing and just kind of watches. And then the ending.
it's kind of extended and you know they do this thing where they kind of stop where you think like that would be the moment for Jeff to kind of come in with this base but they build back up that was kind of what they were possibly teasing with Corduroy before where it was kind of going to go into something bigger but here they do it I've never heard that before Jeremy and that's such a cool little experimental thing that is all circulated around Jack yeah there's just another example of (laughs) these endings of these songs and you know, No Jeremy is kind of the ultimate deconstruction of the song, but they were they were always looking to deconstruct Jeremy and like, yeah, flip it around, move things around, cut and splice it. Yeah, absolutely. That this is this is another example of that. Yeah, just really interesting. Loved it. I I, th- yeah. I think this is this will yeah. go back into some sort of discussion later in and, uh, in this episode. And the just smack in the middle, the ten songs stuck right in the middle right. there. Right, yep. Give you a little bit of a hit, and now we're gonna go back to a new song, and then we're we're gonna kind of splice them out, and then we'll get we'll get back to ten. But we don't even get some of the real good stuff. We don't get a black at this show. We don't get a once. So yeah. you know, just we'll we'll have to see where we, where it goes from there. But it says you guys are chanting my name, but that was all you. I hope this isn't about you. This is habit. Um, I mean, Habit 96. Habit 96 is going to have bite. It's going to have a visceral growl that just gives its song its identity next to like a dingy distortion sound. Um, what about the, the speaking as a child of a 90s line? Speaking of someone who's taken many pucks in the face. I think when we hear the name of Ty Domi in a little bit, that goes yeah, already had a little it connection there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the band has just been on top of all the no-code songs, and Mike's solo is filthy in this show. Oh, showing off. Yeah. This song. Yeah. Unreal. Yeah, Habits, I mean, Habits one of those that doesn't really transition too well into the later 2000s after the binaural tour. They don't use it as much, and when they do, it can get tuned down. It can kind of get muttered a little bit, uh, but 1996, there, there ain't a damn thing wrong with it. It's... It's fantastic. So yeah, just a just another just oh hum another amazing performance in this show. falls up and uh shit immortality is <laughs> is taking it to the next level it is continuing this track of you know one song beating the next song going above the uh, and beyond what the last song was so we get the early arpeggiated intro for immortality I, I that's probably the second or third time that they they did it they did it at the showbox show so this wasn't something that the crowd knew at the time they it, you know they were just doing something then when that that 
when that uh, actual intro comes in that that they know they're able to kind of erupt a little bit and uh you know kind of get some familiarity so after a while though like when you hear this intro you're you know like you you just wait for that moment it's kind of like the chloe dancer in a crown of thorns thing where you know when it's coming uh but this is still very early on in that that cool little intro for that and you know the performance is pretty pensive at first and once Mike comes in, it feels like it's it's starting to build. It's starting to enrage. And as it goes, it continues to elevate. It continues to just get faster, to get just angrier, to get, like, just a little bit harder. And then you have to burst into the end of the song and when you finish the, the lyrics. And it's all Jack from here. What else to say? It's just... How fucking fast can you go? You talk about the octopus arms. What's a species that has more than eight 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 arms there? I mean, yeah, yeah. seriously, I don't know how he's able centipede, to do that. That was arms. unreal. Yeah. yeah, unreal. Yeah, and he's even and you can hear the crowd erupt on it oh, too. Yeah. Like they love, they are fucking feeding into this. You even mentioned that that intro, and. Jack's even playing on the little intro, which we normally don't get. Usually, it's just Ed. But sure, this is, yeah, this is Jack t- together trying to like even build up some some tension and momentum there. Oh, it's yeah. I mean, what can you say? This is probably like the Jack like feature song. Like, if give me give me one song to to get Jack on, and and this is the one that I'm gonna pick. It's not in my tree. This one is just oh, it's in my tree is is what it is and it's fantastic. It's but immortality is one like that he didn't even like write. He wasn't involved in the in the right. recording of it. But it give me one that he adds so much to. Like yes, in my tree is his song, but immortality he took to a different level. Yeah, it's so weird that so many of those Vitalogy songs were just so easy to adapt to for him. And even like, you know, Dave kind of wrote Last Exit. He has a writing credit on Last Exit. But like we listened to some of those 94 versions. Granted, it's before the song was really polished. But Dave is not a highlight on those Last Exit. And Jack is like the driving force uh, behind it. Those Vitalogy songs, it seems like he has this either kinship where it just it makes sense that it's it's the right tone for him and it's the right pacing and it's the right songs. But it seems like so many of them he just adapts to just perfectly, almost as if he did it on the record and yeah, you don't just didn't even realize fit. he did it on the record. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're back to ten, like we mentioned before. There, are, you know, there, after this, there's one more ten song. And it's even flow, and this is kind of, I would guess that this is a little behind the normal even flow pattern, probably, you know, we're a little bit just beyond the, the middle of the set uh, benchmark here, but it's just another building off the momentum. They, they just seem to get get better as they go along. It's not a, an eight minute even flow solo, but it just, you know, you got to love the way that before they build back in before they kind of, you know, get the drums going. It, it kind of dies a little bit and it kind of waits to, to get to that build. I thought, I thought that that was terrific. That was awesome. 
Yes. Big arena sounding anthem too. Yeah. Absolutely. Can't take that away from it. Absolutely. Fantastic. All right. Here's where we'll talk about Tidomi a little bit. <laughs> you hear this next song because we're playing here. You'll never see us do this anywhere else. I'm going to try to integrate. Oh, wait to find out what it is. I mean, I might piss on you. That's okay, too. Well, better to be pissed on than to piss on. Um, no, what I'm gonna, what we're gonna try to do, actually it's just me, I'm gonna try to integrate the name Ty Domi into this next song. I mean, we mentioned him before, like that's that's your ultimate enforcer. He he was a bad guy. Every team wanted a piece of him. And this is a good version, not for you though. You know, again, you're getting something that just dies a little bit, and it kind of gives you that moment to anticipate, and then boom, explodes again. Stone solo alert. delivers. Stone solo alert, firing on all cylinders. And again, another one that Jack driving the pace of. All of it, fantastic. You you had kind of that mid set with Animal, Jeremy, and Habit, and then you've got Heavy Hitter, Immortality, Heavy Hitter, Even Flow, and then not for you, like just it's it, it's you know, Even Flow in 1996 is is kind of in a in a weird spot too because it's this kind of like almost throwback already. But then yeah, you're, it's like classic rock. Almost yeah, but then point. you're you're bookending it with these two like intense like jams like almost and it's yeah it works really well i thought this was really good uh construction again daughter is here and daughter has a lot daughter is like a who opus here Oh, I'm 
this was kind of cool because you have the, the cut my the hair opera. Yeah, the cut my hair to begin, and this is all stuff. I'm not sure if it's all from Quadrophenia. Most of it's from Young Man Blues. Is Young not. Man. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, cut my hair, then a little bit of the real me, and then Young Man Blues. This is like this is a mini opus for Ed. You can picture him being, you know, 14 years old in the bedroom and windmilling on jumping on it in his in his bedroom. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, of course. I would like to package the next two songs together, Lucan and Rearview Mirror. And Lucan is just revved the fuck up. Ed is just, like, just exhausting his voice into the mic. And, you know, I, like, sometimes when they play Lucan now, it's just kind of like, okay, it's the song to make the set list feel more expanded. Like, it, it it's good to see, oh, it has 19 songs in the main set instead of 17 or 18 because Lucan's there. It, well, they play Lucan for 50 seconds and they, they duck out like that. That I think that that has something to to do with a show feeling like it has more songs sometimes. But in 96, they were just like they were playing this for a fucking reason. They were playing this because they fucking felt it not to not as some like joke or like as kind of a. Filler, I don't know, like, yeah. right, right. Just here's a weird transition to get into not for you or something like that. But the the transition here is fantastic too. I thought I I don't remember the last time I heard a Lucan in the rearview mirror, but especially this era. But this was this was loved it, fantastic. Yep, agreed. I mean, and Lucan is it's a yeah, it's it's one of their weirdest songs. Then and we always just kind of be like, oh, you know, it is what it is. It's it's short and does its thing, but just a weird song and you know one of the first that was was played off that off of no code and just like just a mind fuck at the time like they're doing like they're really gonna do this like pearl jim's doing one minute like garage rock songs like punk rock songs like all right cool sure cool why not and then you know what at the end of that album they did a song like around the bend so yeah imagine uh, like how how mind blowing is that? And I never even thought of it that this way. But like, Lucan and I'm open and around the bend are kind of like in that later side B of the record that all don't seem to really fit Mankind together. Too. Yeah, I mean the Mankind. These are songs and, that would not fit on any other record. That uh, right. Players. Yeah. And maybe a lot of people wouldn't have attached themselves to Present Tense because Present Tense fits right after Lucan. So it's such a different dynamic, even with present tense too, you know, yep. but yeah. that, that's, that's what they wanted to do. And that's what happened. And, uh, I wouldn't take, take it any, any other way. Rearview mirror. What are we going to say about it? It's just, <laughs> it's a, it's, it's, it's a short, but just very jammy bridge. And then just like everything else in the set, it absolutely explodes. That's that's the theme of this. Everything, it's just setting out the dynamite and then watching it, light, lighting lighting the match and watching it, it go to blaze. Yeah. And then every moment just just being like, yes, we did. Like like lighting off fireworks. Every every single time you light off a firework, it, it, it's just as exciting as the last. As long as it's not a dud. And there were no duds in this show. This was 4th of July for them. So... Ed just crushes the ending, and the guitars and Jack just pounding away.
A plus. Another fantastic rendition of a song here. Yeah, I was. I watched this and through, and I was, you know, kind of pay attention, and it it kind of lulls you because it gets kind of quiet, and like you mentioned, it it is short. It's not like a nine or ten minute version. So I'm I'm watching it, and I'm it gets to the end, and I'm like, huh, I didn't really like, I didn't really get anything. Like I, there wasn't really anything in that, that that stood out to me, so I was like, "Well, let me go back and and watch it again to make sure because it, you know it's rearview mirror." So I went back and and watched it again and like noticing so many things through the second time, like just and again it's the the relationship between Jack and Jeff that we hardly ever talk about, but just so important for a like a bass player and a drummer to be on that same page and for Jeff too, you know dealing with with Aberziz, who is not kind of the the artier kind of more introspective you know personality that you know ed and jeff you know ed talks about that you know from the beginning him and he was he like latched onto jeff as like this is my dude like he's into the art he's into mm-hmm. the the concept of it he's he's a thinker right. like this is the, they they were like the 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 pair and i think jack was like that too like he just to have someone who thinks about music and art in a different way like that him and jeff together i think was a was a really underrated partnership and that's something that i'm going to be looking forward you know to to really you know hitting on when we do these you know 95 96 97 98 shows and here too like you mentioned like when it starts to build back up it's just I'm just I was really just listening to Jack and Jeff and it's just like oh my god this is unbelievable just a perfect balance between and, and and Jeff just finding his spot in between the guitars and it's just it's just a thing of beauty. Yeah, uh there is no bad version of Rearview yeah. Mirror. Yeah. What else do you want from us? We're just going to go back to the well and uh and that that's all that needs to be said that makes sense. If, if you guys hear it, then you guys know it. And if you don't feel it, then, well, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> this might not be the right podcast for you if you're not feeling it. So Yeah, in, in, uh, in, a, in, a, mid, in a set that's, like, front-loaded, it was, you know, the, a lot of... It's a good of, finish, too. Yeah, the, but again, Rearview Mirror is, is the, the standout of the, the last part of this set. I, I really, listening to it, I was like, oh, how are they going to this has to be the end of the set. Like you can't, you, you can't right. follow that up with anything. And then here comes alive. How? Yeah. I, I think I had the same, I didn't say the same thing, but I, I think my instant reaction was like, you get so used to rear view mirror, especially in the, in the current era yeah. being kind of your, f- uh, your finality. You're the last thing you get before like a second encore before, uh, the, even the first encore and alive, which n- now you get at the end of the show is not even in a closing spot in the main set. It's kind of a setup for blood, which is a pretty damn good setup. Um, I think that, the biggest talking point is from Jack and just the rolling fill supplementing Mike solo here just, just brings an extra power to it. I mean, obviously this is, this is a complete Jack show and he doesn't miss a damn beat, but they didn't love alive in 95. They were like kind of off of it. And this kind of feels like it has some energy to it again. Yeah. Not so, bad. Not bad for 1996. Able to find it. Yeah. When it kicked right. in, I was like, 
I was like, oh, okay, like here's the part where they're gonna, where the where it's gonna, the energy's gonna Take drop a, layup, a little bit, right. and we're gonna be, we're gonna get a little, you know, we're gonna get a little kind of off moment. They're gonna kind of like, you know, let let their guard down a little bit. But no, this is good. Yeah, n- not bad at all for 1996 alive. You can tell that they were feeling it. Ed's yeah. thanking everybody from the back to the sides, and says, "I wish I had a nicer ass for you all." And he sees people leaving. And he's like, wait, 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 I wasn't saying goodbye. I was just introducing the next song. (laughs) And he actually waits for the audience to come back and begs for them to come back. So he sees, like, I guess they're in the aisle and and he sees them kind of go back to their seats and uh, says they might be anxious to get to Toledo, but Toledo can wait. And uh, he was just building up to his big line. This blood's for you. Another Another Neil Young reference there. Oh, yeah. Yep. This this note's for you. Uh, Bowie fame in the middle of the song. Yeah, this is actually the first time they tagged Fame onto Blood. You know, they were they were feeling it and kind of feeling all the pressures around, you know, the the quote unquote the article. So it it was definitely feeling a this is a perfect tie into Blood. I think he was he was uh, he was into something on this one. You know, he's feeling it when he does that. This is like a 2010s worthy call and response during Blood. When do you ever see that? That 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 you know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of the corduroy call, call and response to the yeah yeah, yeah like yeah. you know a little bit less matured than that like a little bit less pandering but it had that same idealism to it. Yeah, it wouldn't have been out of place at like a Wrigley or a no, or a Safeco or all. something like that. Yeah, no. absolutely, very very good. But yeah, just blood and a set is just its own thing that you know you just. You just hold on to it when it when it comes and you don't want to let it go. 
Oh yeah, uh, it's uh, especially you know it's not something that comes up too often now. Right. Uh, that's another one that I got at that Fenway show that that was a complete surprise, but. You know they're not going to close a set with it now. They're going to kind of supplement it with other songs uh, surrounding it. I don't feel. I don't think they feel as comfortable. I don't think Ed's voice is, oh, yeah. is anywhere no, close Ed, to we, that we, level. We might. So. We might have seen the last of blood. To be honest, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Well, look. You know, edit, edit, uh, future, future moment from uh, from Monday's show here. But we'll see. Where watch them. Ed watch them open. They, they opened with it. I'm going to sound like a jackass. Good God. <laughs> we'll have some heavy editing yeah, to do yeah. that way. Uh, but yeah, you're you're absolutely right. You want 1995, 1996. That's where blood is in its wheelhouse. It's and in '98, I think they completely dropped it in '98. I think they played it just one show. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, definitely have to cherish those moments right there. We're at the Encore, which makes time to pause for station identification. This episode that we're doing today is a patron request from Steve McCallum, who is a Horizon Leg patron. The Horizon Leg patrons are donating to our Concertpedia page on liveonfourlegs.com, which there's a lot of stuff that happens on liveonfourlegs.com. Last week, we did a little bit of a see here now kind of uh, preparation thing and, and got all the fans that, that were going to see here now to talk about it. I did some talking about it, probably too much. And John, you you released some, you kind of started a new series. You want to talk about that? Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. Like, you know, last week we, every you know, every week we, we do our top three moments at the end of the show. And and last week, you know, we did the the Key Arena show from Seattle 2002, the night one. And I really, like, thought my my top three moments deserved, like, some extra, extra, like, notice and some extra, you know, attention. So, yeah, I went back and, and decided to, to write a little post about them and kind of did a deep dive on, on why I picked those three moments and why they were special and really kind of trying to trying to hone in on like what the band was doing and kind of how these moments come about and like what makes them special and the inner the interaction between the band members and this leads to this and this is this person's feeding off this and it was it was just really fun to kind of like just dissect those those top three moments and really get into it it really helped me kind of understand why i picked those and yeah i hope people will go check it out on on live on fourlegs.com if you guys please bookmark that thing please check it a couple of times a week where we're always you know throwing stuff up on the blog there's going to be you know updates every month if not every week on the concertpedia especially coming in october we're going to be adding stuff constantly so yeah, please go. Please go check that out if you if you haven't already, and please you know make it a regular destination if you if you can. Absolutely, and we're trying out different things, and in the future we'll be trying out different things where we can do uh, some more fan uh, communication and get you guys like actively involved with the website as well. Uh, but yeah, it, it needs you know it, it needs constant love and constant appreciation, uh, and like there's always going to be we're making sure that we're going to do at least one or two blogs a week, and and obviously you can listen to the episodes on there or go back and listen to the past episodes. So everything is there. Uh, try to keep in touch with it as much. As possible as much as you can as much as you want to waste time at work i think it's a perfect time waster for work so uh if that's not enough of a sell then 
Uh, I don't know. I have no idea what, what else to sell you, but I can try to sell you Patreon. I will try to sell you the, the, the good of Patreon and, and how we were able to take Patreon from the month of September and our donations and put it into the projectmatters.org, making $750 worth of donations for them, which we're very proud to have contributed. Fantastic. And yeah. Yep. And uh, look, uh, that, a lot of people that weren't patrons before joined in on that, and then a lot of uh, old patrons kind of uh, put in some, some more for that. And we'll do, we'll do things like that, but a lot of what the, the Patreon tiers are going to be for are to kind of get you know the the website out there now especially the rise and leg tier get the website out get some advertising and now since we're going to shows you know we we want to make sure we we got some shirts for the concertpedia and we sent them to all the concertpedia writers and the uh the horizon leg profile people so those are things those are expenses that that help the show that that john and i don't have from our normal life so it's very important and very helpful and we're very gracious that people want to uh to contribute to this and that's why we try to keep doing more and more and more it uh, like I mentioned last week, it, it has been tough to keep up with just because li- life lives are so much different right now. My mine is crazy as hell, and I had the show last week. So, uh, but we're planning on more episodes. Trust us, we're planning on more episodes. We're planning on more evolution. We're planning on a new series very soon, a new mini series, uh, possibly something else. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned. And if you want to join, Patreon.com/slash Live on Four Legs. If you want. An episode picked for you today. That's the Giggle Egg or the Horizon Leg tier. If you just want to listen to the stuff, if you want, to, if you like our show, you want to intake more. The Bonus Leg. It's just a dollar a month. Join for a dollar a month, and that's that's perfect. We appreciate every dollar that's donated, and we put that to as much good use as humanly possible. So Patreon.com/slash Live on Four Legs or Live on Four Legs on the Patreon app. Just search for that shit. And I want to thank one of our former patrons, Jared Jackson, who actually rejoined Patreon this week. Uh, thanks so much, Jared. Hope you're getting a chance to check out all the uh, exclusive content over on uh, Patreon. So thanks, Jared. All right. Back to the rock. Ed thanks some people. Gives a shout out to the merch people selling across the street in order to keep prices low. I have a story about that. Comes from our good friend Patrick Bagel, who we who we, who we will be hearing from next week uh, at the, from when we do Randall's Island. And I actually this was this was his first show. So I asked him earlier today. I, I told him what what we were doing, and and uh, and I think he mentioned this. He mentioned that the merch had to be sold across the street because. It had to do with Ticketmaster because uh, they ha- didn't have the exclusive rights to the Maple Leaf Gardens. So, you know, but they had influence over vendor contracts. So that's why the merch had to be sold across the street. And that's probably okay. why they didn't put a poster together for this. Yeah. So, and like posters started to really become a thing in 96 where you start seeing the oh, different yeah. ones. Nin- yeah. 1995 had... Uh, uh, I think you guys have all seen it, kind of like the it's sponsored like by no one looking guy, sponsored that, yeah. by no one, right? And you see all the on on the right side, you see all the the, the cities, uh, and there are some city specific ones like San Diego and uh, I think like uh, Salt Lake City or something like that. But um, I think '96 was really when they started consistently 
getting the posters together for, for these shows. So interesting to note. And, and uh, yeah, just another, another thing that, that they were doing that was kind of DIY at the time that was trying to get away and avoid uh, either Ticketmaster or avoid people spending too much money for shit, which, uh, which I spent, I spent how, however much on zombie Funko pops. Uh, so yeah, that, that didn't work. <laughs> didn't stay very long. Uh, but anyway, uh, our encore in the first encore is going to have three songs in it, and it's going to start with "Who You Are," which is very tribal. It kind of brings out the best of the album version. I thought that this was very, very close to what they did on the album, and it's just a good, good way to ease back in after a lot of just explosions, a lot of dynamite in the first set. Yeah, and just for me, it's just watching Jack play that rhythm. It's just just almost hypnotic just just it's almost like you know watching the watching like some expert you know craftsman at work you're just like just transfixed by just how how does he do this like yeah that that was just the big part of it for me that's just just special to just see him at work on this song it's just unreal it's one of yeah it's one of those that's his staple signature type songs it it doesn't get the appreciation that maybe in my tree gets but uh yeah i I mean jack can go off on this the crowd liked it it's almost like you know they because you you get it does get kind of a little bit of a crowd response like you know it's almost like oh we heard this on the radio that has to be rewarding for the yeah. band, you'd think, because yeah. they, uh, elsewhere they're they're hearing it from people being like, "Oh, who you are? That was a dumb choice." Like, you know, for I this remember hearing that on the radio like too for the first time, being just mind just blown. Right. Yeah. A lot of people checked out after that, but the people that didn't were probably in that arena that night, just just kind of hanging with it. Uh, I got shit. I got Cinnamon Girl. Outside of Cinnamon Girl, this was a great version of of I Got Shit. I thought like, outside of Cinnamon of, Girl, I mean, like the whole thing. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'm not. I, I, I'm I'm saying like Cinnamon Girl shouldn't define what this version is. Okay, you know what I mean. Okay, like this is this is a good version regardless of whether Cinnamon Girl is on it or not. Yes, very good. It just again like just big pounding drums uh ed's vocals are really good in this just kind of get fierce at one point and kind of uh just just kind of taper out and and uh, yeah it sounded great there's a version and it, it might even be randall's island where he before the song he actually stops and like explains how he when he was writing it and he like plays the cinnamon girl and plays like and I was like, and he says like, oh, I was just like, oh, okay, I just, I'm just going to rip this off. And I, it, it's right around this week. It's one of these shows from, from around this era. And I, I wish I could remember which one it was because it's a really cool moment. But I think this was kind of the beginning of him going like, wait a minute. Like there's something subconscious going on here when, when, I was, when we were writing that with, with Neil in the room, you know. So it's a cool I moment. I, I love when they, when they add it. 
I have your answer, and it's kind of incredible that okay. it happened the place that it did. Toledo. Okay. So, yeah, one of the next shows. I I believe it's Toledo. Yeah. Uh, I could be wrong, though, because I kind of read that he botches the start of I Got Shit and then told everybody that that was going to school that, that uh, yeah, that it, it might not be that. I just saw I Got Shit in the same week yeah it's, it's right so. around this it's around this week or the next week it's yeah it's yeah. it's a it's a funny moment it always reminds me of whenever i hear it, it always reminds me of that we'll have to find it at some point soon yeah go go through five horizons if you can find it definitely <laughs> but then yeah ed just and it, ed just thrashing around at the end just having the time of his life it was just really really fun you know this is a song that they just love playing it really shows through and speaking of thrashing around and speaking of something that is your white whale, um, you'd have to think after that night, after the Letterman night, like, okay, they're going to come back with this. Like, they probably felt really good with that performance. They probably, they definitely felt really good for this performance. You hear the beginning, and it's just fired up, and he's just, like, he comes out, and he just screams, oh, fuck! And, like, I don't know if he forgets. I don't know if he's just so in the moment that he it just it lost him for a second. But it adds to just the, the, the utter craziness of the song and, and just the, the, the vibe of it and how, I, like, this is a pretty just, you know, vicious version of Leaving Here that you don't hear very often. Yeah, and this is like, and, you know, in, in the later years, you know, leaving here would become like, oh, you know, we're going to bring out the opener and we're going to fuck around on it. And it's, you know, right. it's, it's not going to be tight. It's, it's going to be like the, dr- the drunken, like, yeah. But this is like the like fast garage rock, like punk rock version. Like, I love these early leaving here's. And it's always like it was always the moment of like, can Ed get through his solo? <laughs> and but I'm not does even a pretty sure who took all. Yeah, I'm not even sure who took the solos. It felt like Mike was taking the solos. I think it was. I think it was Stone, Mike, Ed, Mike. From what okay. I could see, it was really tough to tell because yeah. I was paying attention to Stone at one point. It didn't look like he was soloing, and maybe it was on those last two, like you said. Yeah, but because you can yeah, kind Mike, of you can kind of feel like Stone's a little more fluid. Mike is a little more like technical, and Ed's like a little more a little less technical and you know a little more percussive and deliberate but yeah they each have kind of their own style to it it's really interesting but yeah nothing from jeff nothing from jack on this yep and ed's voice just growls rings out on this one great version and if if that is what you get and that can be uh, your replacement for uh the later the letterman then maybe you know yeah it's the closest thing we got so it's gonna have to do right Ledbetter, they come back out for an encore too. They they finished up with leaving here, come back out. Ledbetter, Mike is wailing away on the solo. Uh, last week we talked about a Ledbetter in two thousand two that kind of felt a little drifting, but this nineteen ninety six version of Ledbetter is actually really really good. I was surprised. Like I thought that most nineteen ninety six ones were just kind of a little just just toned down and just kind of like a little bit more relaxing, but. Mike has a little juice to this, and, you know, I, I think that it makes sense due to where the rest of the show was that they had to go out on a real high note, and, and Mike, even at the end, gives the crowd something real special to leave on. Yes, I 100% agree, and you know, you know, Yellow Ledbetter didn't even really come into prominence until 1995. I mean, we think of it right. as this, like, 10-era song, but, yeah, this was still kind of early on, and it's, I mean, I don't know exactly, you know, what 
what number of play this is, but it's got to be early on. So yeah, they were still just they were still feeling it. I think twenty nine. Yeah, yeah, and it's so been what not, it's in the three hundreds now, probably almost four hundreds, probably three seventy three. Yeah, yeah, yep. So yeah, you're right. Like very much in its infant stages, sort of building to that moment. I think people are realizing that you know you get a good show, you're going to end with a lead better, and uh, like getting that here and getting that uh, for a lot of people like. A lot of people think that there can't be a show that doesn't close with a lead better. I think a show has to earn their lead better to get it as the final moment. And this show, I mean, it, it earned ever, everything that they did oh, with yeah, the show. You, so. you, you know, bookending with release and yellow lead better, there are not many bad shows it's that have classic. that. Classic. Yeah. Yeah, that's so classic. That is so classic. So, so routine, yet, I mean, perfect. Uh, there's no other way about that. All right, the most difficult part of our show is right here. Our top three moments. Yeah, top three moments, and I'm. This might be harder than actual rating. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to fudge on this one a little bit. I think my number three is gonna be release. Um, you know, we talked about it very, very early on about Ed and, and Jack together, and in the darkness, and the just the the tone that it sets for the show. I think is very important and would have been just so amazing to have been in the room. Like I'm, I'm jealous of Steve for being able to be there. Um, my number two is going to be rearview mirror. Uh, we definitely, uh, hit on that a lot. Very, very special moment there at the end of the main set. I thought that stood out, uh, among the, uh, the, the big songs there at the end. And then my number one is just going to be the, the run of, of Tremor Christ in My Tree and Corduroy, just three very different songs back to back to back, but each maybe some some of the best you're going to hear in in this era or any other era, just one after the other, just building and and getting better and better as they go. Those those three which were just the highlight of the show, hands down. That's a damn good run, too. That is a damn good run. Uh, I will be taking one of those run songs, and it, this is really the, this top three is in no particular order at all, because I I can't I can't figure out what I like the most. I like them all very equally, and even the stuff I'm not putting in my top three, like on a different day, probably can go in my top three. In my tree is such a huge moment at this show. It is, and it's from the beginning. It's that percussive beginning, and it's like Ed recognizing the crowd. And just like saying this is this is great, and kind of getting you know a, the positive mentality, and and bringing Jeff into it, where Jeff was bouncing around and getting crazy. Yeah, this 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 drove the momentum. Uh, I will say that the next one, I won't say number two, but the next one is Jeremy, and the way that they were kind of able to do a little bit of the experimental stuff at the end of Jeremy that they don't usually do, that if they're doing, they really deconstruct it, but they were playing around with it at the time, and and like I mentioned, it, it was kind of something like that was kind of teased in Corduroy, so I don't know, maybe the band kind of heard a little bit of that, and they were like, okay, let's let's do that for jeremy let's 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 find that and get that back because you see them i think it's jeff and stone that are kind of like huddled around jack and they kind of see what he's doing and kind of play off of it a little bit they're watching him so it's it's a real good moment and and uh again find me another jeremy that that you got that off of that can have an end that just builds back before it actually finishes 
brilliant stuff. And then um, it's really difficult for me to not add immortality. If, if immortality is like very good or uh, I mean, or great like this one, it's almost impossible for me not to add it in the top three. It's just, it's up there as, as a top three all time song for me. So look, it's, it's fantastic. You get the arpeggiated intro for very, very, very early onset. Mike powers them through. It's a wild ride to the end. Jack just erupts and it's, it's the best. So those are my top three from all different records right there. Cool. Yeah. I like that. All right. Let's rate. What are you giving this show? Yeah, I was, I mean, I, I knew this one was going to be going to get a high rating up. You know, I was kind of in the in the eight and a half nine range, but I'm gonna, I'm even gonna bump this one up to a nine and a half. It's just stellar all the way up and down. Really, really good. A lot of really good moments. A lot of really interesting things. Really good crowd. Bands in a great mood. Five is good. Nine and a half. That is exactly my rating too. I. What makes it miss a ten for like my heart almost says. Like just due to my enjoyment of it, it almost says it wants to give it a ten, but it kind of—it's a good show that doesn't have the historic significance that maybe a Randall's Island like next week does. Maybe and I think I put a lot of yeah. the weight for tens into that. Yeah, and you know it's it, it's the the opening that we talked about the first six or seven songs is just flawless but then it's it's hard to keep up that momentum you would need like maybe if you had a really good black or like a you know you needed maybe one more encore moment to really match the intensity early on i don't know i don't even think it's anything that they did song wise i think it's just like it's tough to explain it it, it's like where this kind of stands within Pearl Jam and yeah, it's you know, just a feel, just going off a of feel. Who the hell knows if they released this as a vault release five years ago, we'd be sitting here right now. Oh, absolutely a ten. If, if maybe if the band likes this and put this as a vault, then then we like it, of course. So it's just that's an odd dynamic and like yeah, I I, I don't put too much weight in ratings by the way. I, I just kind of try to figure out like essentially what's the most important and where it hangs within uh, the balance of important shows. And I think other shows that we gave nine, nine and a half this year, like Buffalo 2003 and St. Petersburg, 2000, uh, 1994. I think this is, this is in that category of just a fucking fantastic boot and nothing wrong with it. Not a damn thing. Uh, but you know, your soldier fields and your Atlanta's, are popular for certain reasons and are 10 shows for certain reasons. So, uh, that's, that's the difference right there, but okay. Uh, let's, uh, let's finish off the show. Thank you everybody for tuning in to this one. If you like no code, tune in again next week. We're doing Randall's Island. That's, that's the show from 1996 that everybody goes back to, especially living in New York for so long. Everybody that I knew it seemed or, or, or had met later on it seemed like if you were in college by the time that no code came out, Randall's Island was your first show. 
so many people that I talked to from my friend Steve, who, who was on uh, the PJ 20 forum that we did a couple weeks ago to other people that I know so many, it, it, you know, I, I probably don't even remember people's names that just bring up Randall's Island. And, you know, <laughs> I've been to Randall's Island a couple times for some warp tours and that place is not, it's not friendly. It's not a friendly environment. And uh, I, I, we will get, Patrick Vogel on the show to kind of talk about it a little bit uh, as as he's trying to fly out for Ohana and do his thing for Ohana and maybe we'll get a little bit of the inside of what happened on on that day and uh, I think we'll do a profile with him and then just splice some uh, some quotes in there so can't wait to have him on he's a fantastic guest as always and we'll we will see him next week uh, but we will see you guys next week as well yeah this is uh, this has been a fantastic listen and a lot of these shows the last month or so we had a murderer's row of shows for a while like from the pj20s to tenadelphia it's still going if you ask me i mean last week was to me was a little bit of a a little bit of a drop but uh yeah i think i think the last two well there we go can you hear that (laughs) yeah i heard that (laughs) well that's the first time it's happened in what five weeks that we've been doing it so uh but I, I think the last two weeks of, of September, yep, definitely fall in that category, 100%. So, uh, okay, I got nothing left to say except, hey, you know, keep listening to the podcast. Subscribe on SoundCloud and Spotify and Apple. And if you'd like to rate us on Apple, please rate us the five-star rating. It helps our visibility. Head to the website, liveonfourlegs.com. And if you'd like to subscribe to Patreon, patreon.com slash legs. You can get all the tier information there. I don't need to repeat that stuff for you. So I'll just say this. This may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. Although we may be parting ways. Miss you already. Miss you always. Thanks again, everybody. No code. What an underrated error this was. What a fantastic show this was. I would recommend you guys either find the boot or go on YouTube and listen to the full show yourselves. Until then, enjoy. Take that, Bob Probert. Thank you very much for watching. Tom Snyder is next. Good night, everybody. There we go. Don't take a train